turn a cancer diagnosis into a powerful force for good. Hello, I'm Emily Portney, Chief Financial Officer of Bank of New York Mellon. Welcome to Bank of New York Mellon Perspectives. I'm your host today to talk about a cause that's incredibly important to me and my three guests, finding a cure for rare cancers. Tragically, cancer remains one of the leading causes of death worldwide. In 2020, nearly 10 million people died of cancer, which means it accounted for nearly one in six deaths. In the United States alone, 1.6 million people are diagnosed with cancer each year per the CDC. I'm sitting down today with Dave Lynn, the co-founder of Cycle for Survival, Dr. Emily Slotkin, a pediatric oncologist at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center, one of the world's premier cancer research and care centers, and our very own Maurice Campbell, a managing director in our real estate lending business. Cycle for Survival is the movement to beat rare cancers and has raised nearly 300 million since it began in 2007 all to accelerate rare cancer research through fun and empowering team stationary cycling events. This is an incredible organization at the cutting edge of helping treat rare cancers and getting closer to finding a cure. I've had the honor of being involved in leading teams for Cycle for Survival since its founding, and so it's special to bring Dave's story to our audience. We also get to hear firsthand from Dr. Slotkin on how innovation is helping transform research and treatment of this disease. This is such a meaningful topic that resonates with so many, and I really hope you all learn something new and come away feeling inspired. So let's start. Dave, thanks so much for being here today. I'd like to ask you to take us back to 2007 when you and your wife, Jen, together founded Cycle for Survival. And I call Jen, Jen, because I'd like to explain that Jen was a very dear friend of mine in college and an incredible, joyful, energetic, and inspiring person. Jen would have hit 51 this year. I miss her, but I'm glad to continue riding in her honor and join Dave in sharing the story about Jen's legacy. So Dave, why don't you take us back to 2007 and really bring us to that moment when you founded Cycle for Survival? Happy to do so. And and I miss her too, Emily. I mean, Jen, as you know, is one of those people that just lit up the room. And we met in business school and fell in love and got married. And for anybody who's been in a relationship where everything just seems to fall into place and is easy, that was the way for us. But then about a year after we got married, Jen started having these fevers and night sweats, and we didn't know what was going on. We went to doctor after doctor, after doctor. And I can kind of remember back to that day that we went to Memorial Sloan Kettering and they sat us down and said, Jen, you have this rare type of cancer. And I remember, of course, we were afraid. We didn't know what to think. We didn't know what the future would hold for us. We made a very specific decision at that point. We decided to take all those fears and put them to the side. And we decided to do everything we could to try to be fearless and to try to help Jen and to try to help other cancer patients. We were really just shocked at how few treatment options there were for these rare cancers. And that's when we decided that something needed to change. So we got a few friends together and you remember that first event very well in 2007. And uh, we had uh, raised a little bit of money and uh, things just kind of took off from there. 
It's amazing. And it, it has been an amazing journey. And you mentioned fearless. And Jen always said, be fearless. We have a couple photos. One is Jen actually skydiving. It was a, a work team. And she said to celebrate, we should go skydiving. And nobody else on the team wanted to do it. But because she had sort of volunteered it out there, they said, great, um, you're, uh, <laughs> we'll all be doing it tomorrow morning, 7 a.m. And they did. And so every year uh, on the anniversary of her death, we try to do something to honor Jen, something that's fearless. And uh, I'm not particularly fearless myself, but uh, what happened was we had uh, my girlfriend go first and we had my sister go after me. I was kind of sandwiched in the middle, so I couldn't whip out. And it was an amazing experience <laughs> to honor her. So, say. It was fun. It was fun. But the real way that we honor her is that Cycle for Survival has grown to become this powerful movement to beat rare cancers. And what I'm so energized and excited about, and we'll we'll hear more detail in more detail from Dr. Slotkin, is the progress that we've been able to make. So every single dollar that's raised goes directly into research within six months. And you know, there's still a long way to go. But if Jen were diagnosed today, the way that she would be treated would be completely different than it was just a short number of years ago. That's really just incredible. Uh, I love the team element behind Cycle for Survival. What's been your strategy to amplify awareness and get more and more people interested? Yeah, it's a great question. And actually, to take you back a little bit, even during Jen's toughest chemotherapy, she would still wake up for her 7 a.m. indoor cycling classes at Equinox. And we thought this would be perfect for a fundraiser because anybody can get on the stationary bike and ride. And as you know, Emily, you can either pedal hard or you can hardly pedal. What are you right? saying? <laughs> no judgments. And I'm not saying what you do, but uh, people can do either one. And we said it's not something like a marathon or a triathlon that you have to train for months. Anybody can do this. And what was really interesting was rather than making it something you could do individually, we required everybody to form teams to participate. And to tell you a little bit more about that, um, they actually did a case study about Cycle for Survival at the Harvard Business School. And I was there when one of the professors was teaching this case study. And he started saying, what I see with Cycle for Survival is what I see with many successful companies that I analyze. It's not that the founders of the company were particularly smart or had any great vision or strategy. And I was in the room, so I thought, <laughs> where is he going with this? Is this, is, he, uh, is this a dig at me? I don't know. But where I think he took the point to was that that Cycle for Survival and these other successful companies made all the small decisions correctly along, along the way. And one example he pointed to was making it team-based. Because if it's team-based, then I can't just show up and ride. I've got to recruit others. So I might ride for an hour, turn over to you to ride for the next hour, turn over to Maurice to ride for the hour. In between our team, we ride the full four hours. The beauty of that is that then next year, you don't want to just ride on my team. You want to form your own team and you bring friends into the mix. So Jen and I would always say, well, even if we're not the best at math, we know that if everybody comes back next year and they bring at least one friend with them, then Cycle for Survival will double. And actually, that was the growth engine of Cycle for Survival in the early years. People bringing, coming back and forming their own teams, and it had this spider web effect. 
It really did. So, Dr. Slocken, thank you for being here today as well. Can you take us back to the macro level for a moment and help us understand what rare cancers are and who is impacted by them? Sure. Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, in general, we think of rare cancers as a type of disease that's occurring in less than 40,000 people a year. Um, whereas, for example, something like lung cancer is occurring in 250,000 people per year. Um, however, it's all relative. And to us, in, in pediatric cancer and in sarcomas, for example, 40,000 is a huge number. And many of the rare cancers that we're treating are happening in dozens of patients, hundreds of patients. Um, some of the diseases that I take care of most frequently are happening in, say, 300 patients per year. And so, as you can imagine, we face tremendous challenges in doing effective research in such rare populations of patients in terms of the funding that we can acquire, the clinical trials that we can run, our access to pharmaceutical agents. And so it is through Cycle for Survival that we can fund this research, that we have a place at the table so that these companies will listen to us when we ask for things. Um, and it brings us into a mix that we would not otherwise be able to be a part of with these smaller number of patients. And the other super important thing to know is that Individually, these cancers are rare, but when we put them all together, if you group all of the rare cancers together, it's more than a quarter of cancer patients. And so uh, we have to put it in perspective of, yes, we're sort of thinking of these as rare diseases, but as a group, they're not so rare. And to us that are taking care of them and to the loved ones that are affected by them, there's nothing rare about it. It's, you know, it's our whole universe. Yeah, and Dr. Slockett, I would, we experienced that, exactly what you're talking about. Um, as you can imagine, on these rare cancers, they get less funding, there are less treatment options. And Jen and I were thinking, do we want to start something that just focuses on what she had? And that was kind of an initial thought. But then, as you said, we looked at the other rare cancers, and collectively, they affect so many cancer patients. So my understanding is that all pediatric cancers are considered rare and you have a range of cancer types that we've unfortunately all heard of um, that are technically considered rare cancers, and that's where Cycle for Survival is focused. Thank you. Um, Maurice, it is so, so special to have you here. Uh, we've worked together a long time, and I, I heard your story a couple of years ago. Um, would you mind sharing how cancer has touched her? Well, um... We're definitely, my family's definitely a benefactor of uh, Cycle for Survival. Um, we found out on almost four years ago on my son's birthday. Um, actually, he had a fun trip. He, he is a top-notch hockey player, 2003, mm -hmm. and he went on a trip to Hawaii. We picked him up at the airport, drove him to a hockey tournament in Boston, um, he was expected to play extremely well. He did not. Um, took him back home. Couldn't keep anything down. And then we just took him to the hospital. And that's when we found out on his birthday that he had a very rare form of cancer called DSRCT. I'm going to mess this up. 
There's both plastic, small, red cell tumor. And that particular cancer was founded at MSK. Mm. And guess who leads the charge? Dr. Slotkin. So we made our way to connections directly to Dr. Slotkin's office. The way our family actually view this cancer thing, I call it, we do a lot more enjoying than worrying. And we enjoy their company. And we learn from them about how do we form an alliance to actually tackle this ugliness. And she was very comforting. And we had a lot of, a lot of laughs. Um, told her, asked her about her background. And she was actually a music major. Uh-huh. And we had some fun with that. And then from there, we just came up with a very, very strong plan of action. And we were able to continue to extend his life. So July 4th, I mean, um, this July is going to be about four years um, that he's been diagnosed. Um, right now, um, he continues to persevere. And actually tomorrow, um, he's having a major procedure where they're actually going to go into uh, his liver and they're going to directly address the tumors that's in his liver. And then, correct me if I'm wrong, Dr. Slotkin, basically cut off the capillary that's actually feeding the tumors in his liver. So that's a long-winded way of saying my family's been profoundly impacted by cancer. Your your message about you are, you focus on enjoying each other and not worrying. Right. That's just incredible. That's what... It is. I mean, it's 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 easy to say and tough to do because when when you're alone, that's when you worry. Mm. So each day you wake up, there's like a scale inside of us when we're alone, and it's like blind justice is holding it, and hope is on one side mm-hmm. and fear is on the other side. And each day that scale takes a different imbalance. But when we're together, mm. it's all about enjoyment. And Doctor Stotley could could attest to this. I mean, she's truly an extension of our family. Boris, that's a powerful. Powerful message. I, uh, it's funny, Jen used to often say, I feel lucky to, to have cancer. And people didn't know what to make of that. They didn't understand. It sounds like your family understands it a little bit as well. She used to say, it's allowed me to live my life to the fullest. I didn't have to uh, sort of everyday things that used to bother me don't bother me. And and really taking that enjoyment approach actually applies to a lot of things in life, right? Rather enjoy more and, and worry less is, is pretty powerful. And, and, and it does. Just in, in, and we're having a conversation about this. And I could talk all day about my son. Um, and Dr. Slotkin knows this extremely well. So while he was diagnosed, he was able to finish school, high school, while spending pretty much half of the year in the hospital, right? Study for his SATs. Pass his SATs, write his college app, only apply to three schools, Vanderbilt, UPenn, and Rice, because, as Dr. Slotkin knows, those are the centers that actually treat his cancer. Got accepted into UPenn, missed class twice, and maintained a 4.0 while getting an A-plus in stats. So with your permission, I'd like to brag a little bit. So please, give me a pass on <laughs> I think we're, has he sent his resume over to us yet? <laughs> I mean, I'd like to brag about him too a little bit. I mean, I think that it, it has to be noted that it is such a, the reason that 
we do this is so that we can get to know patients like Maurice. And had I had the opportunity to know Jen, he is such an incredible young man. And the chance to sort of know him and then know his family through him and just hear, you know, the way they have approached this most challenging thing that can happen in anyone's life. It's, um, he is truly remarkable. And, you know, the whole family is truly remarkable in the way they have dealt with with all of this adversity. Yes, and the thing is no one would no one would know because it's we own it and we don't take it out on folks. Um you know, you 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 would you would not know that that you know, we're really affected by this. And part of the reason why we have this inner drive and this inner strength is because again, we seriously concentrate and enjoy and not worrying. Your strength is, is just amazing. Thank you. Uh, so Dr. Slocken, um, it's incredible to hear firsthand how you and others like you give so many people hope. So if we're really focused on, on the innovation here, I'm curious, what do you see as the future of medical innovation? How are new and advanced technologies in your field bringing us closer to a cure and also helping to improve treatment? It's the most critical question of what we can do with Cycle for Survival to get treatments better and less toxic um, for patients like Maurice and Jen. Um, and I think there have been several sort of huge movements in innovation in cancer care that have happened, say, in the past 10 to 15 years. But many of the rare cancers and some of the pediatric cancers in particular have lagged behind some of that progress. The first sort of major advance that we can point to that covers the whole of oncology is really the genomic revolution and our ability to sequence tumors so thoroughly and so quickly. And this led to significant advancements in multiple tumors that occur in adults, but has been less helpful for tumors that occur in younger people. And so we still need to advance those technologies further to know even more than just the sequence of the DNA but even better how that DNA is functioning and what all of its downstream effects are. And it's proving not enough for us yet to know just the sequence. And so we kind of see the next genomic era as beyond just the sequence and what else can we know about the tumor rather than just the sequence of the DNA. And I think the other major advance that covers all of oncology has been immunotherapy. And again, it has significantly benefited a handful of tumors that usually occur in adult patients. And some of these more rare tumors and some of the tumors that are occurring in younger people have in general benefited less from immunotherapies so far. It's fast generalization. But so I think... In really broad terms, we are looking to take that new genomic era and make it even more state-of-the-art so we can really personalize therapies to each patient. 
and ways that we can exploit those immunotherapies that are working, say, in a melanoma and make them work better in desmoplastic cell around cell tumor or in other sarcomas that have not yet benefited as much from immunotherapies. I'd love to ask more broadly as well, how, how is the medical field helping to make quality care more accessible? I don't think we're doing enough. I think that there are still disparities. I think we could do more. Um, I think that programs like Cycle for Survival make clinical trials available to people that otherwise wouldn't have access to them. I am able to specifically run the tangible results, as Dave was saying, 100% of the money I have run a clinical trial in the past three years that was entirely funded by Cycle for Survival that without Cycle for Survival would not have occurred. So this was fairly direct evidence of something that otherwise wouldn't have existed. Um, but in the broader system as a whole, I think there's a lot more that could be done. And in particular for pediatric cancers and for cancers that are occurring in adolescents and young adults, um, those patients that fall right between truly pediatric patients and truly adult patients, it is also programs like Cycle for Survival that give us resources to really address these groups of patients that don't fall into typical silos and to develop clinical trials and research programs that are very specific to them. Dave, Cycle for Survival is such a unique and special organization, partially because it just leverages people's focus on health and well-being. And over the past two years during this pandemic, I've noticed personally that people are much more focused on health and well-being overall and a much better quality, you know, balance uh, in the quality of life. Are you noticing that the pandemic has caused any increased interest uh, in Cycle? And is it affecting engagement and even creativity around the programming? Yeah, great question. I mean, the pandemic forced some changes for Cycle for Survival because people didn't, we didn't want to have hundreds of people together in uh, in a sweaty Equinox Fitness Club, as nice as they are. And actually, sort of, I think what we've been able to do is what some, some of the best businesses have been able to do is how can we kind of learn and grow from that and, and come up with something that's even better. So we added a lot of virtual programming. Uh, during the pandemic. And uh, the exciting thing about that is that people can participate in Cycle for Survival anywhere in the world. Um, whereas it used to be that the vast majority of our participation was at the Equinox uh, Fitness Clubs in major cities around the United States. So now the hope is for this coming year and beyond, how can we take the best of everything virtually and allow people to participate, whether it's on a stationary bike or running or walking or doing yoga or whatever they want to do, and combine it with these amazing events where you have the everyone's in person and you've got this great energy and feeling of hope. So I don't know what uh, if that's kind of similar to you seen, Emily, or what your thoughts are. It definitely resonates. And actually, as a matter of fact, just this morning, I was uh, talking about Cycle to another a colleague of ours. And uh, and actually, they were just asking about, oh, is it only is it only cycling? As well, no. Actually, since the pandemic, you've all had to rethink, you know, really be creative and think about this in in, in different ways. And so now, if anything, it's even more inclusive and really can you know, it's it's all about just health and well being. 
So Maurice, uh, health and well-being and resilience are priorities for us here, of course, at Bank of New York Mellon. How do you keep yourself going when someone you love and is so close to you has been unwell? Well, we have to persevere, and you're absolutely right. Uh, I think this firm, I've been working at this firm for 23 years, and one thing, one major takeaway from this firm is that we care about the employees in terms of their well-being. We really do. I remember when my son was first diagnosed, um, and you see the human side of people that come out in terms of support. But I just remember the first person that I called here at the bank, what he said was so comforting. He said, take care of your family. Don't worry about it. Well, that meant that I had to, you know, take care of myself, take care of my family, and most importantly, I had clients that I had to service, also took care of my clients. Even on one of the frequent flights that we were on when we went out to Ohio, mm -hmm. I was in the midst of, of, of all this. I had to flew back, and then he had a major operation. So now what kept me going? I get up, I run. I used to run track in college. I play a lot of golf. I know I have to um, try to encourage my son. I really do. Um, because, again, we have a daughter. I know Emily, Dr. Slock, and you like her a lot, but she's putting us in a home. And I put a lot of pressure on our son that he has to live long enough to take care of us because Grace, our daughter, is going to put us in a home. Pick one out for us. And based on how we're treating her, that's going to be the quality of the home. So in all seriousness, I mean, that's that's some of the fun that we have, and that's what I showed them, right? Um, but, but yes, get up, run a lot, play some golf, um, and just enjoy life. The, the message about perseverance is uh, obviously so, uh, you know, so fundamental to everything that we do, but especially when it's so personal and about health, uh, yes. someone so close to you is, is uh, just the, the strength. Again, that's all I'd say, the, the, the strength that's emanating from you. And as you talk about your son and your family is, is incredible. Yeah, so you have to, honestly, you have to strive on no matter what the obstacle may be. I mean, it's easy to say it, but we're doing it. You, you, you have to strive on. You have to persevere. So, Dr. Slotkin, um, just staying on the, uh, going back to the pandemic for a moment, I think we all would agree that scientists and medical professionals were able to develop vaccines for COVID-19 in just a remarkable, remarkable time frame. So has that experience and that history now in the pandemic helped accelerate research into cancer or other diseases? I think it definitely has. And I think as sometimes controversial as it can be, it provided the stage for the world to see what science can do. And the vaccines and the treatments that have been developed in this amount of time is truly remarkable. And there is no reason that that type of speed and success could not be and should not be translated to all types of cancers. Um, and I think that more specifically in terms of mRNA technology, um, people are working to translate that. But in terms of the larger understanding of the importance of clinical trials and the clear evidence of the meaning of science to society is just on display in a way now that it has never been before. And so I hope that that can continue to spur all types of research. Of course, we'd be very biased to these cancers occurring in younger people, but I think it's meaningful to the, to the whole world 
uh, of research of all kinds. So Dave, after listening to all this, if our audience, whether they work at Bank of New York Mellon or otherwise, want to get involved with Cycle, what should they do? Yeah, great question. One of the things I've learned on this journey is that one of the best things that all of us can do is get involved in something that helps others. Because not only are you making a positive impact on others, but it actually makes you feel better. It makes you happier. It improves your own life as well. So my first kind of piece of advice would be get involved in whatever cause moves you and where you can make a difference. Uh, And then the second piece is I think Cycle for Survival, especially if you or your family has been touched by cancer, is one of the best places where you can actually make a tangible difference. So I would encourage anybody to go to cycleforsurvival.org. You can start a team. You can join a team. You can make a donation. There are a lot of ways to get involved. We have rides throughout the country. And as we talked about before, you can participate in any way that you'd like. Emily, one surprising thing to me actually about Cycle for Survival is how much companies that have participated have enjoyed it. Because, you know, what I heard from Maurice is you have a special firm there. And when people get together and have a common goal outside of the office and work together to achieve it and participate in activity together, it brings the team together in a way that really couldn't beyond what you could expect. And we've seen that with with companies across the board in all kinds of industries. So I think everyone would enjoy it as well. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So trying to end on a slightly lighter note, um, a kind of a very quick uh, round table for all of you. So um, Dave, first you, who would you want to have on your dream cycle for survival team? My dream cycle for survival team. Is that, isn't this, isn't it the panel right here? Is that? Um, <laughs> it's your, uh, I, I mean, any, <laughs> any, any cartoon character, anything, anything goes. Everyone. All right. Uh, tough question. Uh, but I, I uh, actually, every so often I'll look back at some of Jen's old files and she was an organized person and she would have kind of things all there in files. And I found one piece of paper that had nothing else on it except scratched in pencil. It said Jake Gyllenhaal and was <laughs> underlined three times. <laughs> so apparently Jen wanted Jake Gyllenhaal at Cycle for Survival. So I guess that would be, well, as, uh, as that her, would be the dream to have him there. As, as her friend, I can tell you, she and I both had a crush on Jake. So just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, it was funny to, to sort of stumble upon that. That's fabulous. Okay, Dr. Slocken, you're next. Uh, you obviously spent many years in school, and also, as we understand it now, are, you know, also was um, I think you said majored in, in music. So there's that. I'd love to hear at another time just that that linkage uh, to to becoming a doctor. Um, but what was the most interesting academic course you ever took? In addition to studying music, I also did the very efficient thing of being an English major. So I was. Fully unprepared for medical school <laughs> by being a music English major. Um, and one of the classes that stands out for me the most is a class entirely focused on William Faulkner. And it was a wonderful professor. And we ran through more Faulkner books in one semester than I than I could handle, really. But it was um, such a wonderful class and such a deep dive into this amazing author. And it has always stood out to me of all of the things that I've studied as one of the most engaging um, of all of them. 
And what was the connection from music to uh, to studying medicine? No connection, really. Uh, you know, uh, as many challenges as there are with a life in medicine, there are many more with a life in music. I'm married to a musician, and it is a much more meandering and an uncertain path. And when I finished college, I didn't want to face that uncertainty. And so this felt more secure, more straightforward, and more comfortable. And so I, I switched gears to try to streamline my future a little bit. Well, it allows you to use both your creative part and, and your, 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 I guess, the right and left side of your brain. So Maurice, you're last. What's the best piece of advice you've, you've ever received? Ironically, the best piece of advice I received was from a very dear friend of mine at the bank. Um, I usually make the journey once a week down to Philadelphia because we never want him to get chemo alone. And, you know, coming back, I always just call her. She knows who she is. And the first thing that comes from her mouth, always, um, you got to stay the course. It's a marathon. You got to stay the course. And she just keep, she just say it at the right time, all the time. You got to stay the course, all the time. So that's the best piece of advice, and this became part of my DNA, staying the course. So all thank you so much for your time today. Dave, Dr. Slocken, Maurice, it has been such an inspiring and thought-provoking conversation. I hope everyone out there enjoyed it. I'm Emily Portney, and this is Bank of New York Mellon Perspectives. Thank you for listening. Hi, everyone. This is Garrett Marquis, Global Head of External Communications here at BNY Mellon. Thanks for joining. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Keep listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you consume your podcasts. Most importantly, and if you're willing, leave a review or rating and tell us your feedback. You can find us on social media, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and of course, bnymellon.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you at the next episode. BNY Mellon is the corporate brand of the Bank of New York Mellon Corporation and may be used to reference the corporation as a whole and or its various subsidiaries generally. This material does not constitute a recommendation by BNY Mellon of any kind. The information herein is not intended to provide tax, legal, investment, accounting, financial, or other professional advice on any matter and should not be used or relied upon as such. The views expressed within this material are those of the contributors and not necessarily those of BNY Mellon. BNY Mellon has not independently verified the information contained in this material and makes no representation as to the accuracy, completeness, timeliness, merchantability, or fitness for a specific purpose of the information provided in this material. BNY Mellon assumes no direct or consequential liability for any errors in or reliance upon this material. This material may not be reproduced or disseminated in any form without the prior written permission of BNY Mellon. Trademarks, logos, and other intellectual property marks belong to their respective owners. Copyright 2022, the Bank of New York Mellon Corporation, member FDIC, all rights reserved. Thank you.